Islington today. It could just as easily be Birmingham or Manchester, Nottingham or Bradford. If you set out to find the part of London that has the most overcrowding and the least open space for children, you'd end up here. In some of the worst housing in Britain, children can grow up without seeing the sea or the country or even a field. Some of the children have found a piece of ground they can call their own. It's an adventure playground, cut off from the traffic and the decay. Racial differences make tensions worse, and the people that run the playground find that even their little refuge is not immune. Well, we're just, try we're just trying to get, you know, a, a, a small area where ch children, more or less, any age, any, any colour, any child could come in and be free with, soup, with a certain amount of supervision. Well, last Thursday, um, a neighbour of mine, Mrs Amick, come out and said, the kids are on your lorry. Well, I've come out and we chased them. Well, a couple running that way and a couple running over the corner here. So, we come, I come over to get one, because I see him still over here, and I asked him what, he, what the hell he was doing, keep climbing up on my lorry. So they picked up a brick at the corner there and thrown at this lady, plus thrown another one at me and went after my wife with a lump of wood. So we've run in like, and as we've run in, they, of course, a brick's gone through our window. And um, the police stood here talking to us instead of going out and saying, there's nothing we can really do about it. He said, and apart from that, if they're coloured, I mean, I will agree these were coloured children, but I mean, I'm not prejudiced against colour because there's good and bad in everybody. But these particular six are often round here. We've complained about them several times. And uh, what do we get from the police? We can't touch the coloured children. We can't touch anybody coloured. If they strike us, we've got to take a, uh, a warrant out for us. But if we strike them, we can get nicked. No, well, I'm white, love, and they've nicked me round here. Well, they, they won't, they won't the children, touch children. Won't. You're on about coloured people. No, You're on about I'm coloured children. I'm talking no, about But you're looking after coloured children. I like, I don't, I'm not against coloured people. And what are you on about coloured people for? He wasn't. I'm on about the coloured children that are nicking up my lorry. Why coloured children? Oh, when you're looking after them. Because the police told us oh, there's nothing no, they could no, do no, about it. Oh, yes, he did. He just said it. He, he just said it. I'm talking about who was nicking up my lorry. No, nothing to do Oh, yes, it has. It's got lots of bloody balls doing it. Yes, it did, because they told lots of bloody balls. I know, I know they can. In this neighbourhood, everyone suffers, black and white. They're the people whom our society puts at the bottom of its list of things to do. The houses they live in were condemned as unfit for human habitation as long ago as 1935. The area is now scheduled to be demolished and the council have started buying up the houses. But it's a process that's dragged on for years. Meanwhile, tenants have been evicted and forced to share accommodation. Many have just become homeless. One of the bitter ironies of the London housing market is that while conditions for the majority are improving, the minority that's left behind finds itself in a situation that is getting steadily worse. The prospering middle class are buying up the potentially fashionable parts of Islington and are thus seriously restricting the amount of housing left for the poor. Houses that once held two or three families now only have one, and the result is that the poor families end up crammed into a neighbourhood like this. London's appetite for labour seems insatiable. It sucks in people from all over the world, 
the people who are desperately needed in the job market are not wanted in the housing market. Meanwhile, people suffer, families are broken, tensions rise, and a neighbour of a different colour becomes a ready scapegoat for things that seem beyond one's control. I suppose you could say that we're all like rabbits living in a hutch, really. There's just so many people, it just makes everybody bad-tempered. So there's, there's just nobody to take it out on. Every, you, so you've got to blame your troubles on somebody. So there's not much point blaming on the government, because we've all tried that and it just doesn't get us anywhere. So the next best person is the black man who lives opposite you. One day there's, there's going to be a lot of bother. It's, it's steaming up now already, you know. Black people are just going to be fed up with being used as slaves, like people still recognise the black people as a slave from the, from the slave days when they was pushing the galleys and shining boots. With some white people there would be better relationship, but there are some people there would never be any better relationship between coloured and white, because they look at you as though you are beneath them. Don't mind they speak to you, that's in front of your face, behind your back it's quite differently. And I mean, the minute time your back is turned, some of them could stick a knife in you, no matter how much they laugh with you. But however much the people of these Islington streets see their problems in terms of each other's colour, there is much they share in common. Take fires, for instance. Seven deaths in less than five months. Black and white children burnt to cinders. At one inquest, the town clerk said they were going to see if they could pull down the neighbourhood immediately, but nothing happened. Somebody rushed to tell me that the house was on fire. I came up and the whole place was full with fire, police and crowd around here, dashed in the room. Uh, when they get in there, the children was already dead, so they manhandled me out. I couldn't do nothing more about it. I don't know how the fire got started. So it wasn't from the paraffin some bad electrical fault or something like that. I mean, I've lived around here 30 years in that one house. Yeah. And I live in filth and damp, where I came yeah. from. But we can't use those Well, rooms. the council's got a dossier like that on my house, and my daughter's got six children and has to sleep in it. But they can't register as a, to mind a baby because the house is too damp. As a person, yes, but not to mind someone else's children. But it doesn't matter about her own six sleeping in it. It doesn't matter. Does this house... We've back, no backyard door and no nothing on. I've been down to the landlord, I've paid well, double I'm rent and my everything. my back is collapsing. I, I mean, it's dangerous. I pay rates But you've been up there and you... Rent as well, just the same. Somebody's and coming, but that's as far as it happens. Somebody's as as coming. As goes. If you live in a poor neighbourhood, they don't want to know about you. And the only how you could get around to them is by fighting for what you want. You have to be united. I mean, and we formed a group to fight the council to get what we want out of them. Eighteen months ago, a group of angry residents were thrown together when they found that as a result of the council's redevelopment policies, people were being evicted onto the streets. Black and white formed a housing action group. After a long and bitter struggle, they extracted a promise from the council to rehouse everybody. If it has sold, can it be boarded up as quick as possible? But there are some in the neighbourhood who resent the group's achievements, as members of the action group discover when they go out to recruit more people. Well, what bugs me really is the immigrants. You know, they sort of come here, they're here a year, and then they're rehoused. Admittedly, we get rehoused, but we've sort of got to be pushed behind. 
for them to sort of get in, you know, why is this? I mean, there's some people down here for 20, 23 years, and they've sort of got to wait, you know. Most people down this turning own their own place to begin with. Yeah. And it isn't right to say that the immigrants get, get rehoused in front of anybody. It's just unfortunate that these poor blighters and to be rehoused, and to be pushed out of their homes first. Well, we're poor blighters as well. Yeah, I mean, we've got yeah, to live in again, slums. They fight, for, they fight, and you don't, because they've come to the housing action group for us to fight along with them. You don't fight. You haven't even come, so therefore you can't. Well, why go. should we have to fight in our own country? I mean, I can't see well, no sense in that. Well, look, it's not, look, it's because it's a cancer. The cancer's taken a roof over your yeah. head. So therefore, if you if you well, if they're taking the roof over our head, they should be houses. That's yes, absolutely. Yes. It's got nothing to do with us, has no, it? But they're going. If you they're don't, putting us out of the house. Yeah, but they're going. Can't you see that if you didn't fight, you're not going to get anywhere because they're just telling you leaving their iron dry. They couldn't care less. They've got their roof over their head. All right, then I'll fight and I'll see how uh, far I get. get. That's yeah. right. Well, that's it. I will. Come along. You'll find them. You'll find what creed? Turks, Greeks, Coloureds, Indians. You'll find they're not there. Yeah, they'll put us in places but, seven, eight, nine, ten pound a week. They'll get places for three and four pound a week. You must know. Look, what they do, what the council does is they they rehouse you on your merit. Yeah. So whatever income you get, they rehouse you on. Yeah. So if you only take a certain amount, so why not you only take nine pound a week? You can't go into a nine pound a week flat. That is obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they are. They put you in a, a flat. But they do ten. put you in nine pound a week. I've been offered nine pound a week, and my husband's only a labourer. Yeah, I but mean, how can I afford £9 a week? So therefore, you're, what you do, you keep turning it down. Yeah, which I have. Well, there you are. That's yeah. what, so that's why you're waiting, because you, you get three chances. And yeah, but they, they go into four and five pounds after a couple of months. You can't just condemn a person without well, I'm knowing. Not I'm not condem condemning them. I'm just saying that I think they should have to wait for a little while. I mean, it's, it's yeah, but, our country, isn't yeah, it? But I mean, again, we should be first priority. Yeah, but if they're out on the street, how can they wait? Well, they're not out on the street. They are, majority. Well, because they're getting my evictions. house has been sold and I've, still, I've waited yeah. seven months. Yeah, but you've still got a roof over your... No, it's just staffed. It's just people with tensions, you know. And if you've got tensions, you're going to look for somebody to, to sort of let it out. And the obvious place is the bloke, you know, who's a different colour to you or is a different language or a different nationality to you. And the most obvious person is a colored man. So you see him, you know, and you say, fool, these bloody walks or something of the kind, you know. Or the colored people on the other hand, you know, they try and say, you know, these blasted English people or something of the kind, you know. But it's, it's not actually the English or the colored people or the Italians. It's just they got no houses, they got poor jobs, you know, they got miserable streets to live in, they got no proper shops, no proper recreation facilities. And that's what they're really grumbling about. If you get, you know, you get any two people, black and white, two decent houses to live in next to each other, and, you know, and they live next to each other quite happily. But you don't give them, you know, you don't give anybody anything, and there'll always be tension. And let's face it, you'd much rather row with somebody who's different to you than somebody who's just like you. Paradise Park is the name the council gave a part that the mothers won in another battle. But it's a curious kind of official's paradise which prohibits games. No wonder the mums fought for their own quarter acre, where their children can do what they like. But it's still true that for most of the parents whose children come to the playground, it's easier to give in than to fight. It's been said that apathy is a private solution to a public problem. And in this constituency, most people don't even bother to vote. If you live in, in an area like Barnsbury, 
and you've got a nice house and your kids go to a middle class school and your husband's got a good secure job, well then it's not a bad life. But if like most of us around here, you live in a slum and your kids go to overcrowded schools, the classes are too big, there are not enough teachers and too many student teachers at that. Um, and you, you live near main roads with heavy traffic, things are not so good. Um, for instance, um, we, we get officials coming to the playground and they say, oh, what a fantastic job you're doing, keep up the good work. It's incredible that a group of local mothers can do, can do this. And yet the same officials, when we were invited by them to a meeting to discuss the future of the playground and they were going to advise us about raising money, we just walked in full of confidence and they completely turned on us and said to us, um, well, of course, you know, a group of mothers won't get anywhere group of local mothers. You've got to have people with a name. You've got to have big names on your committee. And we explained that we felt this wasn't necessary. But they, they, weren't, they didn't want to listen to, to our, our, you know, our story. And by, I remember by the end of the about two and a half hour meeting, we just came out of it absolutely shattered and never ever wanted to hear the name Adventure Playgrounds again. But by the time we got home and had a cup of tea and we thought, well, who are they to tell us? You know, we recovered some of our confidence and thought, well, we couldn't have done so badly to, to in fact, kept the, the adventure playground going for two years. The mother's problems haven't only been the blindness of the council and the prejudice and apathy of the neighbours. They've also had to contend with their playground leaders being beaten up by gangs of teenage toughs. Martin Peck used to belong to one of these gangs. But a year ago, he started hanging around the playground, asking if he could help. He's now the assistant playground leader, earning nine pounds a week. It's uh, the feeling you're doing something, you know, for somebody. You don't, you don't really know what you're doing, but you, you know you're doing something. You're sort of getting a community together. Like you get black kids and white kids and everything working in here, and they're playing together, you know, and they're just keeping together all the time. Now, you might get a fight between a black and a white kid, but it, there's no tension. It's, the tension's forgotten once we're in here because they can come in here and play as they like. I've been with you before now and you used to say, oh, look at that flash, gets to fit around the place. Yeah, well, that was before, as I said. But it must still be the no, same, you no, just no, can't change your attitude to... I can change my attitude. ...foreigners like that. I'm entitled to change my attitudes. I've, I've met people, different people, I've read about it, I've talked about it, I've done everything about it, and I've just changed my mind. I've grew out of it, I've grown to realise that coloureds and Greeks and Turks are the same as me, except they've got a different colour skin, they talk different. But I think it's just a waste of time for what you're doing and mixing with all these foreigners, isn't it? You take, a, you take a black family or a white family, they look, they look out on the street and they see their little kid playing with a black or white kid, they shout them in. You must, especially white people, white people are worse than this than black people. They turn around and say, get in, don't play with that black kid, he's a fucking nuisance, you can't play with him, get out of it. Yeah, well, but little when kids... These kid, yeah, but when these kids come on this playground, they play together. They don't care, because their mothers ain't there or their big brothers ain't there, they don't care who they're playing with, they just want someone to play with. So they play with these kids and it's improving relations. <laughs> Can a new generation be spared the bitterness and violence that has divided America? Here in Islington, black, brown and white children are growing up side by side, speaking the same language with the same accent, with the same hopes and aspirations. Because the parents of these children are poor, they have to go to the most overcrowded schools. And when they leave, they'll have to take the jobs and houses other people don't want. It is a breeding ground for a kind of bitterness that could one day divide black and white irrevocably. Or it could be, if the people who run the playground and the housing action group have their way, 
the fragile beginning of a new coalition, a coalition built on a common need in the face of a common problem. The headmistress of the local primary school sends her children to visit the playground because she sees it as a small grain of hope in an otherwise barren land. Well, I can see that constructively the adventure playground could help some children to perhaps form good relationships, some of which might be permanent. Go across this, oh, and can't you come down this way? I feel also that one has to face the fact that the Adventure Playground is a place where children are going to come very freely to work out pleasure or aggression or some sort of emotional feeling. And therefore it is susceptible to perhaps more extreme things like children destroying things. I think it is perhaps later, perhaps, oh, maybe nine or ten, when, when children are perhaps given more responsibility within the home, when more demands are being made on them to conform in school and for them to get on, when they actually realize that there is a competition ahead, or they, they, you know, it, it, it has been passed down to them from parents that there is a competition ahead, that you have got to fight. Um, if you are black, you have got to fight hard and work hard for this. This, I feel, is when most of the bitterness begins. And then they begin to understand just how hard it is for their parents. They perhaps uh, begin to hate the sort of home in which they live because it's substandard. They begin to feel frustrated because there's no way where for them to play. Or they be become afraid simply because the streets are not safe. And I feel that all these things are usually the beginnings of what could be complete resentment and bitterness for a teenager. I think if they can see that most of the problems are not just related to, to one area of people, you know, mainly us as black people, but that in fact there are problems which relate to everybody, maybe it would be more sensible for them all to come together and fight for things like housing, to fight for things like playing spaces for children, and in this way um, get rid of all the aggression, but instead um, everybody's trying to find a scapegoat. Sure, it's true. Life, you know, the entire spectrum of life is a, a constant uphill fight. If you ever stand still at all, people will pass you. And the same applies to dealing with a councillor, dealing with any authoritative body. You know, you've got to just keep going at them all the time, but you know, if, if you just go to them cap in hand and say, please, we would like a playground, you know how, it makes it so much more difficult than if you actually start a playground and get something off the ground and say to them, well, look, you know, here, we started building this thing, which you should have done. Now you just get up off your what's it and give us a hand or else we're going to start screaming blue murder. I mean, they'll give you a hand, all right. Anybody will help any other person who is making an effort to help themselves. But if people just sit down and wait for everything to be done for them, then they'll, they'll always complain it's a constant uphill fight and we're not getting any help and we're frustrated and this and that. But these people, they're doing something. Any system that benefits a few, you know, more than it benefits the rest, there must be something wrong with it. Well, you know, there's no sense sitting down and moaning about it. There's no sense saying, well, society's structured wrong, I'm a poor man, I can't do anything, because you can. 
You know, these people are doing something. They're proving that you can. So, for, you know, for Christ's sake, don't just sit and mourn about it. Get up and do something, and people take notice of you if you do something. Instead of just, you know, moaning and screaming and shouting your head off, do something. <laughs>